You are listening to the sermon podcast of International Lutheran Church in Seoul, South Korea. I'm Pastor Chuck Hoffman. mentioned at the beginning of service, today is the last Sunday of our church year, and our gospel text is a depiction of the final judgment. For two weeks, we've been talking about Christ's return, and today the focus becomes what he will do when he returns. He will judge. Uh, He will come again to judge the living and the dead. This is what Christ himself taught, and this is what the Christian church has confessed and believed these 2,000 years. But judgment is not such a popular thing nowadays. Did you squirm in your seats a little bit when you heard this passage read to you? Did it make you uncomfortable? The separation of goats and sheep? The separation of saints and sinners? The blessed sheep are brought to his right hand to inherit eternal life, while the cursed goats are brought to the left and they're told to depart to eternal fire. Did that make you uncomfortable? It makes me uncomfortable because I live in a time and in a culture where the prevailing worldview does not think too highly of judgment in general. Uh, Here's some common phrases that we hear often nowadays. Who am I to judge, we say. You have no right to judge me. Don't be so judgmental. And the one Bible verse that everyone in the world seems to know is judge not lest ye be judged, although that's a slight misquote. Society nowadays does not seem to have a very high opinion of judgment. And therefore, I can only imagine that the final judgment would be an even less popular topic. So before kind of diving into this passage, I want to give a defense of judgment. Judgment is good. A society without judgment is also a society without justice. Everyone likes justice, right? That sounds a little bit better. Don't we want the victims of violence to be protected? Don't we want criminals or those who would harm innocents, women, children? Don't we want them to be locked up? How do you think we arrive at justice? There must be some conclusion of right and wrong in order for it to happen. There must be some pronouncement of guilt or innocence. There must be some judgment of fault. We have people who help us with these things. They're called judges, and their job is to judge. So a society that has rejected the judgment of truth and of right and wrong has also decided not to protect 
victims to protect women and children from violence. There is an alternative way to organize your society. If you want to be free of judgment completely, then it looks like this. Everyone does what is right in their own eyes. Uh, This has been tried before, and it doesn't go so well. If you read the the book of Judges in the Old Testament, uh, that was a judgment-free society. In fact, it has this refrain over and over in that book. It says, everyone was doing what was right in their own eyes. And it led to some chaos. Some of the most disturbing incidents in the Bible were recorded during that period of Israel's history. And so God would send these leaders, these saviors, these heroes, to try to restore some order in society. And the old King James English called these leaders judges. I hope we are beginning to see that there is in fact some place for judgment. It serves a purpose. And besides, I also think that we actually like it much more than we think we do. In fact, I would argue that our entertainment proves that we believe in judgment. Look at the plot of nearly every movie that is popular. Uh, There's a good guy and a bad guy, and usually it's pretty clear. There's a central struggle or conflict. That conflict is resolved at the end. The hero wins. Good wins over evil, and judgment is passed on the villain. Um, Think of the scene at the end of almost every action movie. There are emergency vehicles that have come together. Lights are flashing. There's ambulances and police cars there. Uh, This is a great time for extras in the movie. The paramedic guy is walking in the background with a a first aid kit. And uh, the hero has a blanket draped over his shoulders. And anyone who he or she has saved is there as well. And maybe Officer Buddy sidekick comes walking over and says, Well, we've got all the evidence that we need to make sure that this guy goes to jail for a long time. All the loose ends are tied up, and we feel satisfied. If the hero wins, but the bad guy gets away, then we say, sequel is coming. And we want still more judgment. Sometimes Hollywood will test endings of their movies to see if audience will accept the ending. And if they try to end it in a different way, More often than not, the audience will reject it, and they'll have to change the ending to give a more satisfactory conclusion, because in fact, we do believe in judgment. A second proof that we actually believe in judgment a lot more than we say is social media. Uh, People can now pass judgment with a harshness and a swiftness and an anonymity like never before. You don't even need to show your face nowadays if you're going to pick up a stone and throw it at someone. To cite just one example, um, this happened a year or two ago. A mother and a father, they accidentally allowed their three-year-old boy to fall into an enclosure at the zoo in Cincinnati. This was the enclosure that held the gorillas. Zoo workers had to kill this rare gorilla in order to save the three-year-old boy. The gorilla began to drag the boy around. 
public opinion was swift and it was harsh. It's kind of a judgment without mercy. Everyone said, what a bad mother this mother is. What a terrible person she is that she allowed her boy to fall into the pit. And everyone said, poor gorilla. This rare gorilla that had to die because of these people's inattention. Very few people said, what a nightmare for that mother to see that child in such a vulnerable position. Very few people said, thank God the boy is safe. No one remembers the name of that boy, but many people remember the name of the gorilla. What does all of this mean? Well, I think it means that we are sinners. We're hypocrites. When we say we hate judgment, what we really just mean is we hate being judged. But when it happens to others, we're pretty okay with it. We have become the very thing that we are supposedly fighting against. I think this is the confused situation that we live in. So that's my defense of judgment. On the one hand, I think that we actually do believe in it because we sure do a lot of it. But I also think it serves an actual purpose in society and it's actually a positive thing. Now, most religions teach that your good works will be kind of placed on one side of a balancing scale and your bad works will be placed on the other side of a balancing scale and whichever side is heavier, that will be your eternal destiny. And if you give just a quick reading of our gospel lesson for this morning, Jesus' words, you may come to a similar conclusion. Jesus says something about feeding the hungry giving a drink to the thirsty, clothing the naked, welcoming the stranger, visiting a prisoner, visiting those who are sick. In other words, do those things and you will be saved. So it seems, saved by good works. But if you've been around Christianity for a while, or especially if you've been in a Lutheran church, you know that we do not believe that you are saved by good works. So the key to this is Jesus' question. He says, well, really, it's a statement. He says, you gave me water, you gave me food, you gave me clothing, and then they protested. They said, well, when did we do this? We don't recall doing this. This is what he says to them. And the NIV is a little bit more clear, so let me give it to you. The king will reply, truly, I tell you, whatever you did to, for one of the least of these my brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. The key to understanding this judgment scene are these words, the least of these brothers and sisters of mine. Jesus uses that phrase when he is referring to his disciples, to believers. Jesus is saying, how you treat my people my brothers and sisters, is how you treat me. And whether you accept them and their message, or whether you reject them and their gospel message, this will determine your place either to the right or to the left. Now, I don't want to just assert that without showing it to you. Uh, there are several places where brothers and sisters are mentioned, least of these are mentioned, and I want to go through a couple of them for you. 
So here's the, th the first thing. Brothers and sisters of mine, this refers to disciples. Here's a couple of verses showing that. Matthew 12, 50. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Or here, uh, chapter 28, verse 10, after Jesus is risen and the women see Jesus first, Jesus says to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there I will see them. He's referring to his disciples. Okay, when Jesus says, the least of these, he's referring to his disciples. Here's a couple of verses showing this. Verse 11 of chapter 11. Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there is arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Or, of course, uh, what I mentioned during the children's sermon. Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And then verse 5, whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. So this moves into my next point, which is how you receive Christ's disciples is how you receive Christ. Chapter 10, verse 40. This is Jesus speaking to his disciples. Whoever receives you receives me. And whoever receives me receives him who sent me. Or we even get to know about this uh, thirst thing. Jesus goes on, he says this in verse 42. And whoever gives one of these little ones even a cup of cold water because he is my disciple, truly I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. Uh, as an American, I picture goats and sheep looking very different. Sheep have a huge puffy wool and they're pure white. And then goats are like live on a mountain somewhere with gigantic horns. But actually in the Middle East, sheep and goats look quite similar to one another. My understanding is that they actually graze throughout the day, intermingled, the different flocks. But at the end of the day, the shepherd separates the sheep and the goats. Because goats need to keep warmer. They need to huddle together. But sheep don't have that need. At the end of all time, all the nations, which means all the people groups, all the ethnic groups, they'll be brought before the righteous king sitting upon his throne. And people will be separated. The question will be, did they receive the message of the gospel? Or did they ignore it and reject it? Whatever people have done to the church, to the people of God, to its gospel message, this is what they have done to Christ himself. So the entry test, what's going on here, is not good works versus bad works. It's not how many hungry you feed or how many naked you clothe. Or how many prisoners you visit, although we should do those things. But really, what would ever be enough? The point of entry is this. Jesus. The point of entry is the mercy of God for the sinner. Because truth be told, we are all 
goats. Every one of us. We are all goats. And he makes us sheep. He declares us to be sheep through his act of giving his life for us. This is why he is called at the same time, he's called the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. But he's also called the Good Shepherd who leads the sheep. He was the Lamb of God so that we may be sheep. He would guide us into these green pastures of eternal life. Now I can't sugarcoat this. This passage is a warning. Reject the gospel and you reject Christ who is Lord of all. Reject the least of his disciples. Reject the simple faith of a Sunday school student. And you reject Christ. But it is also a passage of great hope. He says to the sheep, he says, Enter the kingdom that has been prepared for you from the foundation of the world, from all eternity. For the believer, God had our eternity in mind before he even created the universe. Now that I have children, I often think about inheritance and what I can pass on to my children. I want to leave them better off than I am. God has promised us an inheritance of eternal life in his kingdom. We cannot even begin to wrap our minds around what that means. What would life be like without sin? Without 300 people being killed in a place of worship? Without death? Without tears? I believe he will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe that he will come and set all things right. That he will usher in eternity. An eternity that is free from pain and death and sin. That's what our uh, Corinthians reading said, by the way. It said the final enemy that will be defeated is death itself. I believe that we will be judged. And thankfully, that we will not receive what we deserve. But instead, we will receive what has been won for us on the cross of Jesus Christ we will receive life and the forgiveness of sins. So that's judgment. Judgment. This word that is so negative to the modern ear is actually full of so much hope and life for the believer in Christ. Amen.